Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Tomas, the CTO at Backbase, and we discuss how Backbase is making it easier for small community banks to compete with national banks. We talk about the build versus buy dilemma and what to look for as your organization scales and your culture evolves. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. No, it definitely, I mean, Amsterdam is really interesting in, uh, it, it, I think it has been a digital hub, uh, but uh, especially lately, it's really also developing in a strong um, yeah, Silicon Valley type of uh, location in Europe, where there's lots of, uh, you know, not just fintechs like Backbase, but many, many other technology companies coming to uh, Amsterdam, because it's very easy to locate here. Um, English is pretty much becoming the first language. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful city to live in and also to work. Uh, yeah. And so you grew up in Germany then? Yeah, absolutely. I come from a teeny tiny uh, village, not even a town or anything. Uh, 5,000 people, lots of uh, cows and farms. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I grew up in Germany. Uh, I started also my career in Germany. And eventually I, I landed in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam because I met my wife. And uh, that kept me also in this country. You ever go back home and visit? Well, my parents still live in uh, in Germany. My brother lives in the US. Uh, so uh, also there is a bit of a spread. But yeah, of course, I, I still go uh, whenever I can. I, I go for, to Germany. Uh, right now, it's a bit difficult due to COVID. But uh, normally, I'll, I'll try to make the trip fairly often. I grew up in a pretty small town, too. Um, have you noticed that the farms are all digital or are they still traditional because there's so much technology happening in the agriculture space yeah absolutely i think that the that's often mis uh, misunderstood so we think about this as not a fast developing segment but it's highly um uh, it's it's operating at a fast pace, right? They have tractors who drive autonomously, harvesting the fields and all these things. So um, it's 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 a real business, and I think the level of automation is uh, uh, growing very very rapidly, which is one of the topics that I'm actually quite uh, passionate about, uh, automation as as a whole. Um, but yeah, so I haven't, you know, in my hometown, I think it's still ma- mainly you know local farmers. It hasn't become very industrial yet, but uh, uh, yeah, you see it, you see it coming definitely. Yeah. So growing up in that small town, what was your first introduction to technology? It was uh, intense from the beginning, I would say. Uh, so uh, I was fortunate, I would say. My my father used to work for a radio station. And um, uh, so, he, you know, throughout the 90s and the 2000s, he basically was working on the digital transformation of these radio stations, all the way going from you know, tapes to then CDs and then to, you know, computers and uh, files. And uh, I think that early on raised my passion, let's say when I got aware of it uh, around the computer technology and computer science and a small, nice anecdote. So my mother used to be a nurse and she worked on night shifts. And so when my father had to do upgrades and back then, you know, you would during the night, you would take the PCs down, you would roll out the upgrades and everything. So he would take me into the server room and I would sleep based on the, probably the noise and the vibration and the, you know, the fans of the, the servers, I would sleep in, in these servers rooms while he was uh, working and doing probably all sorts of upgrades and everything you would nowadays just do throughout the day. Um, but yeah, so that, that's eventually, I think where my passion for uh, uh, computers is, comes from. And then of course, you know, it just 
yeah, went on and went, went on and on. So, you know, based also on, on his job, I was very fortunate to have a laptop very, very early on because it got decommissioned at his work. So, you know, it, I kind of got hold of it. It was way too slow, obviously, but, uh, so th this is how I got in touch, uh, with it. And I think, uh, I always wanted to work in, uh, in IT in, 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 in this sector. Well, later on, I drifted into the financial sector, but, um, yeah, I always wanted to work in IT. And I think that just is based on the fact that probably, yeah, as a small child, I was sleeping on a, on a server. Uh, that's, that's, I think where it's coming from. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that because my dad was an engineer and I had other siblings, right? So my mom would say, take that one to work with you. Right. So he would freelance <laughs> at nights and weekends. So I'd get home from school and then he would go to his freelance projects, whether it was, you know, installing a computer system in a, in a hotel when they first got the digital key locks or he was writing software, building some microchips. Um, so I was just bouncing around to all of these offices, getting this experience. Yeah, I know what that's like. It's uh, yeah. it's yeah. a great way to grow up, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I think it's it's. Um... It's really funny. I think also my mother once told me, you know, I think uh, that I really always wanted to work in IT and, and you know, I didn't have the dream of becoming a fireman or anything like that. So <laughs> that that is quite, uh, I think I was passionate from day one is, I guess, the, the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you were going through uh, your high school, so like your public schooling uh, before college, when you're going through that, how were you thinking about approaching the job market? Were you were you self-educating? Were you was your plan to go to college? How did you go from uh, high school or grade school in into the workforce? You know, I was always um, so, and even today, I'm a self-starter. I, I like to educate myself, and um, I think I never went out there to say I wanted to have a very specific job. I was I'm really driven by by opportunity and uh, things that uh, grasp my interest. But but eventually, you know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I went to something which is like it's like a technical high school. So even in school already, my, I had a focus on uh, electrical engineering back then also, and uh, computer science. And uh, then eventually, I went mo moved on to university. And I think also there I have a bit of a different approach. So I remember in my first semester, I went to the, le the lectures and there was, were these professors, they were standing in front of the chalkboards and they were writing stuff on it. And it, 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 it was incredibly tiring. And uh, I felt like at the end of the session, I didn't learn anything. So, and back then there was no need to have attendance. It was not mandatory. So eventually I found a job next to a university and, uh, you know, I started in good, good old engineering fashion. I, I started my career at SAP. So it doesn't get more German engineering than working for SAP. And so more or less throughout my whole studies, I worked uh, almost full time uh, yeah, at an engineering company. And I basically two weeks before the exams, I took off, uh, studied probably something like 14 hours a day. Um, and yeah, you know, made the exams. And eventually that's how I went through university. And, uh, and, and then back then I got the opportunity to join an international talent program in a bank, a big European bank. Uh, and that bank, uh, back then was, uh, a pure internet bank. It was, uh, at least back then it was the largest, uh, direct bank, internet bank in Europe. And what that means is it didn't have any physical branch, you know, everything you would do, it was digital from, from day one. And, um, 
yeah, again, like I said, I was uh, very driven by opportunity and and things that capture my interest and that 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 are changing uh, things. And um, I felt like, well, you know, this makes total sense. I'm really super passionate also about the internet and everything it allows you to do and how it you know changes our life. And so back then I felt like even though it was after the financial crisis and everything, I felt very much drawn to this concept that there was a a company in a space that is very traditional that was fundamentally doing things differently. And so that's how I ended up actually in for my whole you know studies and being an engineer and being passionate about engineering and everything, how I ended up in the financial services sector because I found a company that uh, you know in the early 2000s still was already uh, fully digital. And uh, yeah, from there kind of it snowballed because I really um, I love the industry because it keeps on changing. It's it's one of the fastest changing uh, uh, fastest changing industries uh, I think uh, out there right now. And um, but that that's kind of how my my career has been going. So I've been always passionate and I've been always a self-starter and been always driven by uh, opportunities and change. And, uh, you know, especially I think centering around the internet and everything it allowed us to do, to connect with each other, to enable uh, new, new products, new ways of working, new ways of collaborating, all these type of things. Yeah. Was that ING, that bank? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, for, for, for it's not that known, I guess, depending on where you are. So I used to work for one of the largest uh, banks in Europe. I used to work for ING. And um, yeah, so they actually, um, you know, there's, there's many uh, people out there who say ING was one of the first uh, fintechs, even though it was uh, a bank, uh, because it had a very traditional banking sector in its core markets, but outside it had a concept of what it called growth and challenger countries. And there it had this fully digital proposition. And me being in Germany, I was part of that uh, part, but they also operated, I think, very famously in Canada and then also drove down into the US, but which then got consolidated after the financial crisis. But uh, yeah, I used to work for ING, which is, I think, at least if you're familiar with uh, uh, digital banking, it's, it's quite well known because it has gone through this whole digital journey and uh, being digital first transformation uh yeah as one of the the leading uh, institutions out there worldwide yeah yeah when i was reading your bio and your history i saw that you did management training there and that it was a very ford like a uh, very advanced technology company right they were doing something this digital banking at the very beginning when it was possible and so what i was thinking was what was that management training experience like at this technology company that was forward thinking? What, what was that experience like going through their management training? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So I, I, maybe I'll, I'll get to this in a second, but maybe also interesting though, my first year was a full disaster. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I loved my journey at ING, but, but my first year was a full disaster. And uh, But on a personal level, it was a big win. I think I came to ING, saw this digital super digital proposition. And I thought, you know, I would join this company and we would change the world. But at that moment in time, ING in Germany had set, let's say a bit of, it got a bit, it was satisfied. Like they were way ahead of the market already. And there was a bit this sense of, we don't have to stretch us super hard right now, right? They came out of this mega stretch. And I think like when you're a sports person, you also, you, you know, you go hard and then you need a bit of a break. And I came in, I think at that moment in time where they were basically going a bit slower. And so I think I've, I had, I hit the wall like big time. Like I, I've, I didn't have a place and it was a bit, 
difficult for me. And but luckily it was a big European organization, and I was able, let's say, to transition into a different uh, spot which had more momentum and it allowed me to, uh, you know, to to drive my passion. But yeah, in terms of management training, I think that's that's an interesting question because I think I always and even till today, I feel learning about management, learning about the business is. Uh, is always the element where I feel I need to learn the most because I think while we're all passionate about engineering, um, you have to understand for what you're doing this and and how it fits into uh, this organization and how you can enable this organization with this. And so, my management training in a bank it was it was um, it was interesting in the sense that I had to learn all the fundamentals of what uh, uh, banking means. I learned values, ethical values, which is, which is something you wouldn't expect. But after the financial crisis, also um, ING and many other institutions, they they learned that, you know, also when it comes to the behavior and the expectations of their managers and their future leaders, uh, they had to change the, the way of thinking in terms of, uh, you know, maybe some of the not so ethical um, decisions that had been made in the past that, uh, past that led to the financial crisis. So it was also, it was not just uh, management, learning about fundamentals, and, but also leading people. But eventually it was also about, you know, ethics and why are we doing this and uh, putting, I think, at the end of the day, also the interest of the customer first and really trying to think, let's say, what's what's our role in the society and how can we help people with financial services while at the same time, obviously growing a business, right? So you have to be also realistic. It is about making money, uh, but it is also about helping people and fulfilling your role. So my management training was very diverse. I think it was not just about learning banking and leading, but it was also about these ethical uh, type of topics. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important. You sound like you've got a strong code of ethics too, the way you talk and hold yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you hope, right? I think um, I think it's very important that you learn from mistakes in the past, and I think uh, in this case it was very important to 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 learn from what has happened in the past. And uh, yeah, I, I do have I, I hold uh, so I have values. I, I hold them high. I think also in in our companies in Backbase we have a, a set of values that are very important to me, and I think I value them way more than, uh, you know, necessarily uh, having the most talented person at the end of the day in my ranks. Uh, because I think if you, if you center and align behind values, then the outcome is always 10 times uh, stronger. And so, yeah, definitely, I would say that's a big part of uh, who I am nowadays. Is that one of the key reasons why you decided to join Backbase? Actually, no. Um, That's a very good question. So I mentioned that I was part of ING, and I had, you know, I had a, a number of fantastic years that allowed me to go to different countries, to work, continue to work on the digital transformation of ING, work on the mobile first strategy. I founded two uh, startups uh, for ING, but then one morning I woke up and my battery was absolutely empty. And I said, it was really, I remember, I will always remember this day. I woke up and I said, I can't do this anymore. And, uh, and so I, you know, I handed in my resignation at ING and then I took a few months off, got married and, uh, and then I was looking for a new job. And then at the beginning, uh, when I found Backbase, I found a software company that was working in this digital transformation space for banks. So make them more digital, make them digital first, make them mobile first, all these type of things. And I felt like, I think I'm pretty good at this. So um, it's also in Amsterdam. So that makes a lot of sense. 
But my initial intention was to take it a bit slower because I think similar to my journey when I entered ING in Germany, I came out of this marathon or this sprint and I felt like I needed something that I'm passionate about, but still maybe I don't have to go super hard. But then, uh, yeah, I also learned something about myself because uh, I joined Backbase and uh, I think uh, I was hired as technical director doing special projects just in Europe. And then two weeks later, I was sitting on a plane uh, to Colombia and I don't speak Spanish, right? And probably it's one of the cultures that is most remote to the German culture. So <laughs> it was uh, quite, uh, quite a leap. And, uh, you know, and from there, it, again, I, I just went again on this crazy, um, uh, crazy ride where I saw this company has humongous potential to help, uh, you know, thousands of financial institutions out there. Uh, but it was organized, let's say, still very basic. It, you know, it, it was just transitioning out of, a, let's say, a bigger startup into a scale up. So everything was organized around Amsterdam, while our customers were predominantly nowadays uh, outside of Europe. And so I started building local hubs all around the world. You know, we, we added Toronto, we added Mexico, we already had Atlanta, we've grown that. Uh, we were added Singapore and other locations. And so, you know, probably a year in, I became the, the, the vice president for uh, our implementation side, professional services. And then uh, I think another year in, um, our CTO left. And, uh, I, you know, then our CEO asked me, hey, Thomas, can you recruit for a new CTO? And I think I interviewed like 50 people and I didn't like any of them. So eventually walked to our CEO and said, Hey, I think, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, also he, he gave me, you know, the trust. I think he had seen how, how I came into the company, uh, how much passion I, I brought to the table um, and uh, how excited I am about the company and, and how far this FinTech out of Europe can come. And um, yeah, so now I'm uh, getting close to four years, I think in Backbase. And like I said, at the beginning, I learned something also about myself. I, uh, I I won't take it slow ever. I think that's something that I definitely learned. Uh, and yeah, four years in, and now I'm the CTO of uh, one of the fastest growing fintechs uh, in Europe. Uh, and I think uh, yeah, that's 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 really my my journey and uh, how I ended up in Backbase. And uh, you know, I think what's very nice about Backbase is that probably it's even closer to my heart than working for this digital first bank because it's much more as it is a software company that produces software for banks. So your internet and mobile applications, any type of digital channel that you have, uh, it's much more engineering heavy. It's a software company, right? Uh, and uh, so it, it, it plays even stronger to my strengths in being passionate about engineering, but also, uh, you know, loving this industry which is just full of change and it doesn't stop changing at the end of the day yeah yeah i got to talk a little bit i think we got connected through yogesh am i saying that right am i pronouncing it right. right yes one of yes. my uh, yeah yeah and we had a really great conversation talking about you know the technology and what you guys do um but the the quick overview you make technology that helps banks stay competitive or how do you say it yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, let's start. I always say there's the party uh, explanation. So if I have a new employees and I say, hey, you have to explain to your friends at the party what we're doing. I said, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're building uh, uh, mobile banking. So your mobile, you open your phone, your mobile banking application or your internet banking application uh, for, uh, uh, for banks all around the world. We do this for uh, retail. So that's the private individuals like you and me being a customer of a bank. 
Uh, we do this for uh, small to medium-sized uh, uh, enterprises that are customers of a bank, all the way to corporates or even wealth uh, management. And so that, let's say the simple explanation of what we're doing, um, but that's very simplified because it's really, I think, uh, there's a lot more to it uh, than than just you know this mobile application, right? It's all all about um, your financial life cycle, uh, and that life cycle is a very maybe bad term, but I think you know you think your bank is just there to you know I don't know hold a bit of money or give you a credit card and perform a transaction, but eventually it fulfills a much bigger need, which is uh, not just your day to day. So it's on top of mind for you every single day because you you interact with it or you have some expenses on there. But it also, you know, helps you helps you in some of your life moments. And that's also where Backbase plays a strong role. And by life moments, I mean, for example, you want to buy your first house. How are you going to go about that, right? Um, or you want to buy a, a car and you need a car loan or, uh, you know, I think uh, also always a nice example that I, I'd love to make is... Um, uh, I think that I don't know all the percentages, but there's huge uh, studies that show basically pretty much no country, no, no matter which country you're going, uh, people have no plan for retirement. So they're not, you know, saving or they have no clue, you know, work will end and then will I survive kind of, right? And also there is, that's a life moment that I think we uh, as Backbase can help you to plan for. And that's, uh, that's uh, really how we look about it. And I think one of our mission statements is uh, build the, the bank that people love. And that's, that sounds quite out there, right? Because especially you don't necessarily think about uh, maybe, uh, I don't know who you're a customer of and what's your relationship, but uh, trying to go out uh, out about and say, we're trying to build a proposition where, where people really love the bank they're interacting with. That's that's what we're trying uh, to do. So nothing that is, you know, feels like a burden. It's about unburdening customers. It's about helping these people fulfill their needs. Uh, and um, yeah, that's what we're bringing to financial institutions worldwide, to also to credit unions in the US, so also smaller uh, institutions. And we really help them to go through their transformation. And I think COVID is a nice example, right? Suddenly all these bank branches were closed and you know, while some of them had maybe a digital proposition, you could see your account balance or something like this uh, online. Most of them were not able to help you, for example, uh, with a loan anymore or like a, you know, state relief uh, fund or anything like that. And uh, so then typically these type of customers, um, they come to us and we really help them to fast track their digital transformation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, when I, when the COVID happened, I ended up getting our paycheck protection program through a local community bank versus the normal like national bank I use. So I'm used to the, the big bank technology, right? And then I have to go get my PPP loan over here at this community bank. And it was a world of difference uh, as far as like stepping back in time, <laughs> right? Their technology was so old and it's like you're spoiled on on this so when when i was talking about backbase i was like this is going to be exciting because um, you talk a lot about the customer and the end user right because that's super important and it's on top of your mind all the time because you're making but but one of the things i was thinking about in our research of this was the 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 community banks have the older customers typically at least in my state right the people yeah, i've been absolutely, talking to yeah and the older companies have less desire for technology tradition or the older people have the less desire for technology traditionally 
And so that they were getting by. So one of the thoughts that I had was, I don't believe that the community or the local banks have really experienced the full force of technology because once those people start to age and their you know, children take over their finances and things like that, they're just going to move everything to the platform that's super easy and right on their phone and amazing to use. So I, I wonder, have you ever thought about or do you ever talk about in any of your materials like this this mass exodus that's going to be happening in the next 10 years as as these people start to you know pass unfortunately like pass away life goes on <laughs> it's hard to talk about right yeah that's going a bit far but yeah i, yeah. I totally get your point no i mean um listen these uh these uh, credit unions they're absolutely aware of this right uh, oh they are okay yeah no no i think they, they are right and that's that's why they are coming to uh to companies like Backbase, but especially also to us. So, so we are really there to help them to transition into this next generation because you're absolutely true. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, it, it is, it, there's quite a big gap between you probably using Robinhood and whatever credit union you, <laughs> you are still using. Right. But that is why they're coming to Backbase is really, you know, they also realize next to the fact that they have to make the step also going through the leap, actually, you know, what that means for the organization then to, you know, suddenly they have to think about what's going to be their cloud strategy, right? Or suddenly they're going to have to think about, you know, maybe they have some big blob banking application floating around that that's why it is so static, but to have a rich customer experience, you probably need to deploy, you know, something south north the 200 microservices range and how to orchestrate this and foremost to even have the people like the technical people, the, the engineers to make this happen. And, you know, the engineering managers with the vision and uh, to, to pull this off. And that's why they come to Backbase is eventually to really help them leap into this uh, digital area. And uh, I think that's, that's, you know, I think why they're coming to us. And I think they are fully aware of it and they, they, they are, they're going to change in the next years. And I think the reality is also, they know if they don't change, it's going to be very difficult for them to, uh, survive so uh, next to the passing maybe of their members i think that that would be the challenge for them but here's the good news you know if you look at uh, a lot of these more digital banks out there or like newcomers like robin hood or like revolut some of the these these more digital banks you know let's say everything they can do at least backbase can do as well but i also truly believe it's not uh, absolute rocket science. I think what they do really, really well is understand their customer needs and then uh, select the right technology to enable these uh, needs at the end of the day. And yeah, so so and obviously, I think we are bringing the engineering talent and the vision to these credit unions to really make this happen at the end of the day. And uh, th this is really, I think, what it is about and what these credit unions are going to also, they're going to go through this transformation in the next few years. You will definitely uh, see this. Uh, I think the challenge will be that they will have to drastically change their offering to attract a different type of additional customer base. But how do you actually, you know, also make, how do you take also their older members on by the hand and, and help them as well? Uh, and I think that'll, that'll be probably the real challenge also for them uh, uh, to deal with that. And yeah, so I think we really enable these credit units to make this step. And I think even beyond uh, some of the capabilities that maybe uh, their bigger competitors uh, have, so like a Bank of America or whatever, I think Backbase could definitely uh, outcompete some of this uh, offering because we have a unique uh, 
value proposition in which we operate globally. And what I see in banking is that, you know, a lot of banks and credit unions, they're very centered on their local market, right? They look what's happening, you know, what's in my, what's happening in my uh, area. But we also, for example, do co-innovation with, uh, you know, a small bank in Kenya, Africa, or we have a customer in Australia and we do co-innovation together with them. And customers of Backbase have uh, a subscription to our platform. So, you know, it's not a one-off license and this is what you get. No, it's a subscription for for five years. And, um, and whatever we're going to innovate all around the globe, suddenly all the credit unions are able to participate in this innovation. I mean, I'm not saying that everything will apply to them, but suddenly you go from a very local narrative and uh, view, you go to a, a global innovation pool. And I think that's something that we bring to the table. So actually, I think we are in a position to make credit unions very, very successful. And uh, I think then they're in a very strong position, in my opinion, because they have uh, a purpose, right? So let's assume you are credit unions for teachers. Uh, just name, name an example, right? Why wouldn't you want to be part of that? I mean, you get, you know, better interest rates or, you know, you get whatever type of additional benefits. And if then the experience with working with this credit unions or dealing with this credit union is, is as good as, you know, your Robin Hood example, I mean, why wouldn't you do it, right? You get the benefits and you get the experience. And I think that's a backbase what we're aiming to do, enable our customers to get this first-in-class uh, digital experience by completely unburdening them of, um, you know, this digital transformation and the technology uh, that comes with it. Um, because I think, you know, that's really the challenge. I think some of them, they even know what they would have to do, but then actually pulling it off is a whole different uh, uh, game and uh, you know also the technology it keeps changing all the time uh, you keep on rewriting code you keep on changing technologies so what used to be everything java in the past maybe uh, you know whatever 20 years is now tilting to go and python and all those type of things uh, that are floating around so that's also something that we're taking away where we unburdening these customers at the end of the day so yeah they are we they are aware of it and that's literally you know, i think the point of what backpress is trying to achieve is is help these um credit unions, but any type of financial institutions to really um, cater for the needs, keep cater for the changing environment that is out there and uh, really create a first-in-class experience. And like I said before, hopefully create uh, the bank that people love. Some of my favorite customers, so historically, I, I built some companies, sold them, and then I had an app development agency for know, almost 10 years, right? And some of my favorite customers were people that went and tried to do it themselves first. <laughs> And then yeah. created so much pain because they came to me and they're like, how much is it? I'm like, this is how much it would cost to do what you want to do. And they're like, oh, we can go, you know, do it cheaper ourselves. And a year later, they would come back and they'd be like, please take our money. Like, just do it right the first time. Do you guys experience that at all? Is, is how yeah, is the market? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think Backbase, uh, I think we take a lot of pride that we are market leaders in what we're doing. But our biggest competitor is surprisingly not necessarily, a, a, I would say it's not a different software company. It is really the notion of what you just explained, which is um, people thinking uh, they can do it themselves. So self-built is our biggest competitor. And, uh, and yeah, many, many will start and will go down that road and uh, try and fail. And uh, then they come to us. So I think that's also a huge portion of our business where they basically um, they have identified the need to change and uh, they have been working on this in the past, you know, let's say three, four, five years, but they've gotten nowhere. 
and uh, and so they're also coming to us and uh, seek for for help and advice or you know really partner then uh, with us but self-built is for sure the biggest um, um yeah our biggest competitor and you know some of them will succeed so i don't want to be very absolutely negative about it you know i again my career started at ing and i think they're succeeding at being excellent at self-built but uh, you know that's a bank with maybe very deep pockets at the end of the day uh, so they can also afford the let's say the scale but also maybe they can afford the talent that is required to do that and they are able to attract the talent that is required to do that and i think that's maybe really a challenge for a lot of the uh, you know credit unions but also you know smaller to larger banks out there is is next to let's say even if you have the money it doesn't mean you get the right people or what i have also seen is you they get the wrong people so what happens is and it's a very common observation and maybe i don't know if you've seen something similar but so they panic they will see they have to change and then they look at let's get the best possible engineer right and so let's say they end up maybe hiring let's say 10 engineers from uber and they all get a fortune uh, you know they'll make a fortune and this is not about uber but you know they might enter but they are, they have a short-term objective they come in they say you know okay there's a monetary incentive and then it's a green field we can do whatever we want so also i see there you know they get sometimes talent in but they have a short-term objective which is basically just you know following their maybe right now uh, technology passion and exploring that and making that happen and then they move on again after two years and then as a bank you are basically in that cycle where you get the next wave in and then they're gonna again do everything crazy new because they say well these guys were completely wrong so we're going to do it again so there's also this you know i think this is the big trap that i see is let's see either they are not able to attract them or they are attracting talent but then it's not, you know, it's not uh, the leadership is lacking, the vision is lacking. And then also, let's say that maybe I was talking earlier about values and, you know, how that matches into what you're trying to accomplish. So uh, I, there's a lot of, lot of institutions that are uh, struggling, if not failing right now uh, on the self-built uh, example. And I think that's why eventually uh, fintechs exist, not just Backbase, any type of fintech, uh, fintech. I think, you know, Banks are coming to Backbase because they fundamentally believe that we do things differently. Uh, because if we were just to do the same as they would, then what's the point in that? Uh, so yeah, so self-build is definitely our biggest competitor. What, what I hear you saying too a little bit, uh, or at least what you're reminding me of, is how important like really great people are. <laughs> it's how uh, do you, everything. How yeah. do you find them? Yeah, I, that's actually also something that I'm... Uh, incredibly um, passionate about, but also thankful to experience it in Backbase. So we are a super diverse company. So we have, I think, whatever, I think 50 nationalities. Uh, so we really, really, really recruit all around the world. You know, we have people from Brazil, Japan, obviously, you know, India, but also Europe, throughout Europe, uh, the US. And I think um, we really look for people that are skilled, obviously you need to validate them on skill. Um, but that match in our values and our passions. I think what you see with Backbase, we find a lot of people that have something to prove. I think they, they are looking for an opportunity. Sometimes they are looking for an opportunity to leave their home country, to make a life uh, for, for themselves and for their family. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, that's probably really a strength of Backbase to, uh, we find, we don't limit ourselves to a market again. Like we we try to find the people that fit our mission 
and uh, bring them behind our purpose and uh, let's go, right? I think that's what it is about uh, at the end of the day. So I think it's really recruitment without borders <laughs> and, uh, and also creating an environment where all these people with all these different nationalities uh, cultures and beliefs, which is, it's a, this is not an easy task, right? Uh, also, how do you create room for them? How do you create mutual respect for each other? How do you not, you know, you, you shouldn't tolerate anything but that. And uh, I think that's also what uh, hopefully a lot of back-based employees would say about us as a company, that it is a very inclusive uh, company where we care for each other. And I think there's many companies who, you know, will say the same, what I'm saying right now, but I can tell you what I really admire about Backpass is that I'm saying these things, but they happen very naturally and we don't have to try about it, uh, try it. I think uh, that's, that's really powerful. So yeah, we, we find it's all about people for Backpass, but we find them all over the world. Um, that's, that's our secret, I guess. Yeah, sounds, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I get to meet so many different people and before COVID, I would go fly around the world and get to like meet with them and go visit their offices and get to see their culture. And I'd most of the time, the person who I met, it was, they were like in sync with their culture. Sometimes it wasn't. Um, sometimes I would get questions about, you know, like, how do we, how do we change our culture or here's where we're at? How do we get to where we want to be? And what I have noticed as far as the companies that subject subjectively, I feel are the most successful is that it's just embedded from the beginning. Like it's, there's no magic program. There's no magic, anything. It's they picked the right couple people to start. And those people constantly picked the right people. And now you have this huge organization and it's just got a very successful culture. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually, uh, I would even say the moment you start to talk about culture as like, you need to do a program or whatever you, you, <laughs> you most likely have an issue already in that corner. But I think you also said something nice about, you know, uh, find the find people at the beginning that match with you and then go. And I think also, for example, in uh, uh, the US, obviously, which is uh, maybe the most important location for us right now. I think um, there we were very fortunate. You had Yogesh, one of my guys on, uh, on your podcast as well. I think uh, we want to have people that we, we acknowledge, you know, there's, there's a piece of culture, there's different, a little bit of different DNA also in every of our regions. But again, coming back to the values and one of them, for example, in Backbase is can do. Like there's this can do attitude. If you don't have the can do attitude, you shouldn't be in Backbase. And I think that's then the key. How do you bring in, you know, key people that share some of these, you know, where this this overlap and you have an instant connection and where you have this shared value. And then there might be still, you know, a local flavor to a culture. You know, definitely, I think if you walk into our US office, it has a different vibe than if you go to Amsterdam or you go to uh, Cardiff in the UK or you go to Singapore. And that's okay. Uh, but the funny thing is, at the end of the day, you would still see that they center around a, a bunch of uh, commonalities at the end of the day. And yeah, I think that's very important. Now, let's say like there's great people all over the world, right? And so let's say you've got someone great. Uh, let, let's just take like, uh, I'll just use myself. Let's say I want to come join your company, right? And you have these specific uh, concepts, uh, these values, like you just mentioned, can do attitude right? Is there like, how do you like, well, I may match with your culture, right? And on several things, how, how do you say, here's a list of, of how we act, here's the behaviors that we value. 
is it something like, do you have some sort of like HR or training program that would, <laughs> that would yeah. explain that to me? Cause like high performing people, I, I, I think there's two conversations. I think the first conversation is typically companies with culture problems that are looking for solutions. The problems way, way deeper than buying a product. I think that's one conversation, but then you have companies that have great cultures that are scaling and they have to figure out how do they communicate what their culture is to all the new great people who are joining. So everybody can focus and, and drive everything forward. So how does that look at Backbase? Do you have like leadership training program there? Um, yeah, I mean, we are not a corporate, so I would say we have a bit of a leadership training, but it's not, you know, coming from ING, it's not the same type of uh, level. No, let me say, I think there's a few things that, you have, first of all, everyone who joins in Backbase goes through the same onboarding week. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you end up actually, if you are in accounting or if you are in, you know, one of my engineering teams and you are a, a DevOps guy. Okay. So you go through the same, same onboarding, which is about getting to know the company, whatever. And you there, you basically already get distilled into, you know, what's, what this company is about. And then I think uh, at Backbase, we, we really believe in uh, also ceremonies uh, and ceremonies maybe for example well it's covid but this is still a nice example we always have summer parties all around the world we have summer parties right and we really this is where you get everyone together and then it's not about work it's about doing something crazy together right then we have to and i it, it's it's creating shared moments and uh, and uh, and i think and then we have, so for example, the summer parties are an example, but also, for example, we have every month, we have a demo day for the whole company. And in the meantime, we are more than, you know, we're way more than a thousand people. And to, to organize a demo day where everyone gets to see what we are producing this month, that's quite an investment, right? So, and I think it's, yeah, we have a bit of leadership training and we have, uh, let's say also a bit of a Bible that says here are our engineering principles, here are our values, these type of things. But we... And Backpage, we really also believe in, in creating ceremonies. And if you keep on doing this, it kind of bit automatically it, yeah, keeps these things floating and uh, keeps them alive. But also something else, something I definitely realize is, you know, um, the company, I think right now we're trying to grow by another 500 people. Culture does also change. So I also think it's important to not clinch on to who you are today, right? I think uh, the company in, in, in five years is definitely going to be a different one than it is now. Uh, I think that's also important. Uh, I always tell, uh, you know, uh, one of my sayings or what I believe in is, you know, people who embrace change will succeed in life, uh, no matter if it's business or private. And uh, yeah, that's also, I think when it comes to culture, you, you should also not be too worried about that it's 100% this, but also acknowledge it will change over time. Yeah, yeah. I. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, you can't be rigid with it. You have to let it evolve. And it's natural, right? You also, you know, um, you have different people coming in. You have maybe some people with long experience leaving. And uh, so again, while you have an overlap in values and so on and so forth, it, it does bring different DNA and uh, um, that eventually changes the culture a bit. But I, I see it as a positive thing. I, I really think so. And I think also you are part of a journey and this company, no matter, I think no matter which company you're joining, you are, that's a snapshot. And this company needs you in this moment in time. And it might also end. I think like my example with ING, I woke up and I was done. And maybe ING was equally done with me. I don't know. Maybe that was the case, <laughs> right? But, uh, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's why also companies keep changing because as companies grow and hopefully if they are su successful, 
naturally everything in their ranks, in their DNA, their culture, it out, it changes over time. And I think I, I see that as a good, uh, good uh, thing. And uh, you know, I, I also always said uh, one of the learnings of my past and and now is I will only work as long as for for I will only work as long for a company as uh, the company has something to give to me and I have something to give to the company. And uh, I hope if uh, more of my employees do the same thing, that that is some that creates a very powerful dynamic uh, also as a company. But that's hard. Well, why is it hard? It's hard because it takes a strong person to realize when those two things are out of sync, and it takes a stronger person to actually take action to correct the the sync. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's a let's say personal growth, right? I um I think that's a one that I went through that I educate. You know all the the employees that directly report into me uh, i'll try to explain to them uh, why that is but i think more and more people are grasping this because also i think uh, you know at the end of the day you, you know you spend uh, 40 hours a week or whatever your working hours might be in <laughs> at work like if you don't enjoy it why are you coming in right i mean and do that for 40 years every day like what's the point in that and i think that's equally a bit part of my equation is to think is let's say hey you why why come in why get up in the morning to do this if it gives nothing back if there's no energy that comes back out of your job then uh, i think yeah that's 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 a difficult one i understand of course sometimes you have to do that for a period of time because you need to you know like covid right now you don't want to put your family into you you want to have financial security you don't want to do this but eventually i'm not saying you have to do this like me you wake up and you leave but uh, you can get to over time to that conclusion that, hey, maybe I should be looking uh, for something else. I, I understand that it's hard, but I think more people get to that point where they say, hey, you know, a large portion of my life is uh, working for a, for a company. And that, that'll better be also a little bit of fun, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, experience will show you that while it's hard to make the change or, you know, to take action and realize it and correct it, it's harder to like live in this bad state <laughs> this state where you're unhappy like that's a hard thing to do to be unhappy for a long time yeah now but but again that's also what i said is it you know it's reflects and also in your private life because i think you'll be unhappy in your private life then too yes. eventually so yeah oh for sure uh, i want to talk a little bit though about uh invisible technology because when i saw that i was it, it's really well named and i have no idea what it is can you explain invisible technology yeah, so I think the point is, so let's say, um, I think it's also a bit for us as Backbase uh, looking forward, right? Or also what's, what's, if you ask me personally, what's the passion of of Thomas? And then uh, my passion is really in invisible technology. So I think today as consumers, we have to, knowingly, we have to interact with everything, right? It's like we have to use our phone to do, to accomplish something. Uh, we have to open, let's say the banking mobile app that I described earlier. and but I think technology is getting to a point due to artificial intelligence where we can really unburden people about it. So um, in our context of Backbase, for example, I made the, the example that people have no idea how to maybe prepare for their retirement. So when at the end of the career, do you have enough money? And let's make a small example. Uh, in our case, we can totally forecast how much money you're going to have at the end of the uh, month, right? Based on previous spending behavior, based on whatever other age groups, whatever you're going to spend, some external factors. So we can say, hey, um, Joel, you're going to have a thousand bucks at the end of this month uh, left. And then um, 
instead of me now going to my phone and putting this money into an extra fund or, you know, put it invested into some cryptocurrency or, or whatever, you know, why wouldn't we immediately do that as well, right? Like go to the next step, do the automatic automation. We say, hey, you know, we put, we took this thousand, you know, it, for some people I'm aware this is very intrusive, but we took this money and we invested it for you. And uh, of course, there, there's also coming back to ethics and trust. Uh, there's a long way to go. But I think that's what it comes to me for invisible technologies. Let's say we can do these things. We can help you without you having to take an action. And we can help you to have a better life. We can help you to not have to worry about certain things. I think the most simple example, and it has nothing to do with AI or anything, but uh, I think, I guess we all love uh, at least the concept of Uber when it came in. And uh, the fact that you can just, you know, you hail a cab and at the end of the day, you walk out, right? And it's just charged back on your credit card. I think that was for me, one of the most like eye-opening moments where I felt like, well, this is so logical. Like every time you're in this cab, you have to run somewhere. You have to find the stupid card. You have to put it in. Maybe you even have to enter a pin in Europe. And it's so stupid. And so I think that's why I'm in general just passionate. I think technology should be just surrounding ourselves without noticing us. And uh, yeah, I think or it, it should be really based on our, a lot centers around the behaviors and who we are as a person. And we know these things, right? Like we have smartwatches in the, in the future, we're going to have some terms of jackets, our houses are going to have some type of sensors that will uh, recognize what we're doing. So we can, based on all this information, we can be of help. And we, again, I think, uh, coming back also to Backbase, we're really looking at the needs of the private persons, the individuals or the companies. What are they, what's the challenge? What, what can we do for them? And with, um, with machine learning, you can really create and distill these uh, signals, and then you can even automate them. And so that's really what invisible technology is for me about that you don't even have to worry about them, or you even never thought about it, but I'm solving a problem for you. And it really has to be in this nature that I'm solving a need, I'm solving a problem for you. And I, yeah, I'm very passionate about this because it's all possible. And that's also why I'm passionate about technology is basically, I feel like nothing is impossible at the end of the day. It's just, uh, you know, at the end, analyzing data and uh, recognizing pattern, making assumptions, uh, forecasting elements and uh, taking action on it. Yeah, but that's pretty, in a nutshell, I hope this was pretty clear. So invisible technology is really for me, helping people um, without them having to take any type of uh, action, like take your phone or, you know, go to a location or do anything like this. It should just surround myself and uh, help me in my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Shri from PayPal about the future of payments, and he brought that exact situation up. He goes, uh, Joel, when you took your last Uber, at what point did you pay them? And I, yeah. I go, oh, I don't. <laughs> you don't like you just get out and he had this word for it. I don't know if it was like ambient payments or there was some good word that he had for it. But basically the payments just kind of happening around you based on the situation. And, you know, you see things like I think Amazon had a, um, a store that'll do it based off yeah. of your face identification and you just pick stuff up and it just kind of happens and that it's it's so cool. It's it's it really is the future and it's happening so fast. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's really about, and the, the funny thing is it can be even safer, right? So I understand that there might be also some fear around this, but you bring a lot of elements into this or so like behavior, biometrics, like your face, your fingerprint, whatever, like you go shopping to Amazon and you're maybe worried that, oh, you know, 
uh, is someone else going to be checking out my goods and I'm going to be charged for it? No, I mean, like based on the fact that you every time you buy a yogurt, a bread and uh, whatever, and it's this time and you're in this location and it was your face, uh, you can just walk out uh, very safely and with uh, high confidence versus um, you know, someone in the past using your credit card and copying the magnet stripe and uh, stealing your money like this, right? So I think that's also, yeah, it's it's exciting because you know, forget about your wallet at home in this case with uh, PayPal, uh, or also with the Amazon shopping thing. You just walk in after work. I need to get a few groceries. I'll get these things and I'll get out all of it. You know, I think uh, you're gonna go into an overdraft, so maybe I need a positive pay or something like this. So you can you can do all of these things uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a new technology, I think it was some Chinese researchers working on it, where they could they can measure the infrared light coming out of your fingertips. Your fingers will actually like emit this sort of like light and the rate they can pick up on that unique signature and it's as unique as a fingerprint. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think that's also, um, I, I heard this long time ago, so I'm not entirely sure if it's true, but I think it, it somewhat makes sense. I heard that the knowledge about medicine is doubling every year. So how much we know about medicine as a whole is doubling every year. The knowledge about computer science and, uh, and technology is quadrupling every year. So I'm not surprised if you tell me that now they can do something with infrared in your fingers. I think that's the, that's the amazing time that we're in that uh, you know, uh, hardware, software, all of these pieces are starting to come together and they are creating a whole new experience, a whole new uh, life uh, for us. And I think that's, that's super exciting. And uh, yeah, I think it's, that's, yeah, I think from my point of view, it's, it's really most software that you have to physically interact today nowadays uh, with is it will disappear. And I think your Google Assistant or your your Alexa, whatever, is, is already the perfect example. You know, maybe they are not there yet, or it's not what you you're also not comfortable with it as a human. So there will be also this phase where we have to get uh, comfortable with using these technologies. But eventually, uh, all of this it's it's just magically there, uh, and it's it's uh, it's uh, putting all these pieces together. Yeah, I'm curious. So. Your company, you're very passionate about building great user experiences, helping people through these journeys and their lives and these, these moments that matter, right? Uh, and you have all of this experience because you have customers all over the world, banks of all these different sizes, and you're, you're, you know, you're building these platforms that they're using. Are you, are you ever, have you ever played with the idea of creating an abstraction? So like, for example, you have like a bass back base financial app. That's back base financial app that I could use instead of Wells Fargo and it would API back in. And that way you could serve like any bank account. <laughs> well, actually there's this notion of what is called uh, open banking in many countries nowadays in the world. So banks have been forced by uh, uh, the governance to open up APIs. And so therefore you start to see what you're just describing is basically aggregator apps. So you will be having one app uh, to administrate all your accounts wherever they are. So this is becoming reality already. And uh, as Backbase, we do allow for account aggregation, uh, which is a bit interesting because it means also maybe two of our customers are kind of aggregating each other's accounts and the customer could choose which one to use. But let's say we as Backbase ourselves, we don't have the ambition to, uh, you know, be a bank ourselves or be such a such a solution ourselves. We, we have all the means of what you just described. 
but you know we really focus on uh, the enablement uh, and i think uh, this is really um, this is what we're good at, uh, what we're good at i think you also have to stick uh, just simply be stick to what you're good at and we're not good at being a bank or you know being a company that actually owns does the marketing does the b2c everything like this we are a technology company and uh, today we focus very much, like I said, on you know digital experiences. Uh, our engagement platform focuses on digital experience, mobile banking, internet apps. But in the future, it might be something completely different, right? It, it won't stop at uh, these apps. It won't stop at uh, Alexa. It won't stop at your your uh, um, Apple Wallet, uh, Apple Watch, or anything like this. So so yeah, we are able to do this. But this is not our business. Uh, I think we're really a software company that is passionate about uh, creating these digital experiences. And uh, they keep on changing. Yeah, I think that's also who we are and why I think we will be successful also in the years to come, even though our business model today is very much around software uh, that you interact with. But uh, because we have that mindset, like I just described, I think we will succeed. Uh, and I think we are not afraid of changing our company if it has to. Yeah, dude, this is great. I love it. You're you're great at answering all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You make it easy. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think yeah, yeah. I think it's you know, I'm, I am. I hope this came across right. I am. I'm super passionate uh, about what I do, uh, and I think uh, that's really what's driving me. And uh, I really enjoy what I'm doing, and I think that's that's also what modern leader modern leadership should look like you should be passionate about what you're doing inspire other people to do the same if not better thank you so much for listening and if you found this episode useful please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it and if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast either add me on linkedin or send me an email joel at moderncto.io Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.